If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This podcast is part of the Podcast Arcade Network. Hello, I am Randy Andrews, and today, Valerian, City of a Thousand Planets, comes out to theaters. I'll be talking today about The Fifth Element, directed by Luke Besson, in honor of this brand new movie. I'll talk the cast, the background, and the excellent soundtrack. I'll even share points from Valerian itself, all today on Soundtrack Alley. Today, Valerian comes out to theaters, so I'm talking about The Fifth Element, also directed by Luke Besson. Well, let's get into a few facts regarding Bruce Willis's character, Corbin Dallas. Hey, 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 I'm up. God. All right, I'm up. God. Yeah, yeah. Yes? Hey, Dogman, Pinky here. Hi, sweetie. I love you too, Major, but you haven't called me that since basic training. Let's talk on a cat. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You still prefer your cat to the real thing. Uh, at least the cat comes back. He's still pining for that two-time and slut. Forget about a man. There are a million women out there. I don't want a million women. Just want one. Perfect one. The hero Corbin Dallas and the villain Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg never met in the film, nor did they communicate with each other in any way. Dallas, in fact, is unaware of Zorg's involvement. In most shots of Gary Oldman, there's a circle around his head. In fact, a circle in the middle of the frame is nearly constant in, as a motif in this film. Bruce Willis, on the other hand, is often more framed by a rectangle or doorway behind him. Bruce Willis also ad-libbed the line, Whoa, lady, I only speak two languages, English and bad English. The wonder on Bruce Willis's face when the diva sings is actually real. 
it was the first time he actually heard the singing. As Corbin and Lilu approach an intersection in his cab, the camera whips forward to reveal to the audience that six police cars are waiting for him. In the far background behind the police cars is a chase between a police car and a long black car complete with muzzle flashes which represent gunfire between the two cars. Ever an eye for detail, Luke Besson noticed the embellishment the first time the visual effects shot was reviewed, thought that it was funny, and it remains in the final film. When Corbin first meets Lilu, she starts talking to him in her language. Luke Besson didn't tell Bruce Willis what Mila Jovovich was going to say to him, so Bruce's reaction was actually real. Corbin's termination notice reads in part, Notice of tor- termination of your contract, effective as of today, due to violation of codes, long list of them, and your engagement with this company finishes immediately. For and on behalf of Zorg. So it turns out that Corbin Dallas worked for Zorg when he drove his taxi. Though this would have been implied anyway, as in the previous scene, Zorg gave the order for one million of his workers to be fired. Bruce Willis spoke favorably of the film in 1999, concluding it was a real fun movie to make. Chris Tucker and Mila Jovovich also spoke favorably of both their experiences, making the film and working with Luke Besson in interviews on the Ultimate Edition DVD. Jovovich described Besson as the first real amazing actor she had worked with. Let's learn a few facts about Mila Jovovich. The divine language spoken by Lilu was invented by director Luke Besson and further refined by Mila Jovovich, who had little trouble learning and developing it, as she was already fluent in four languages. The language had only 400 words. He and Mila Jovovich had conversations and wrote letters to each other in the language as practice. By the end of filming, they were able to have full conversations in this language. In the film, Lilu has orange hair and yet Corbin Dallas wears an orange tank top. At the end of the movie, when Corbin's mother calls and the president passes off the phone, you can hear her complaining, I might as well throw myself into traffic, saran wrap myself into a bed, and pretend my child is suffocating me. She is, of course, listing off previous scenes within the movie. Jean Reno was actually an original choice for the part of Corbin Dallas. Jean-Paul Galter personally checked the costumes of 500 extras used in one scene. When filming began, the production decided to dye Mila Jovovich's hair from its natural brown color to her character's signature orange color. However, due to the fact that her hair had to be re-dyed regularly to maintain the bright color, Mila's hair quickly became too damaged and broken to withstand the dye. Eventually, a wig was created to match the color and style of Lilu's hair, 
and was used for the remainder of the production. Many of the Mangalores aboard the Floston Paradise can be seen wearing combat goggles. This was a practical solution to hide the actor's eyes who are visible through the mask and save money on makeup, contact lenses, and coloring around the eyes. Luke Besson cast Mila Jovovich as Lilu because Mila has a physical thing. She can be from the past or the future. She can be an Egyptian or a Roman. She can be Nefertiti, and she can be from outer space. That was one thing that Luke Besson physically liked about her. Pavla Plava Laguna, the diva's name, was actually composed of two words, Plava and Laguna. Plava in Serbian, Croatian, Montenegrin, and Bosnian language means blue. A feminine masculine would be Plav. Laguna in the same language means lagoon. So her name is Blue Lagoon, which ironically, Mila Jovovich also played Lily in Return to the Blue Lagoon. The diva's name had been inspired by Plava Laguna's resort in Porek, Croatia, where Luke Besson holidayed a few times. Elizabeth Berkeley auditioned for the role of Lilu, but after the failure of Showgirls, the studio was really reluctant to hire her. Mila Jovovich was covered in bruises throughout the entire shoot. According to Luke Besson, even Bruce Willis said to her, Come on, it's fake. Don't break your head over it. The makeup device David gives Lilu is black and bears the iconic Chanel CC logo. Mila Jovovich has appeared in ads for Chanel. Now let's talk a little bit about the director, Luke Besson. In in fact, I didn't I didn't went to see Bruce at the beginning. He was such a big star. He was so expensive that I, I can't even dream about him. And uh, and I met him, and the, the, his agent said, "No, you know, Bruce is 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 a good guy if he loved the film." And he told me that, and I said, "Bruce, I didn't give you the script because I can't afford." And he said. If I like it, we will find an arrangement. We will find a way. And I say, okay. So I give the script, and he say, I love the film. We're going to make the film. Uh, because I couldn't pay him. I, I, all the money goes to the special effect. <laughs> and at the time, it was coming from France. You know, we, 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 can't, we don't have the same budget. and So it was kind of difficult. But he was so, so nice and... He, he just made the film because he liked my films and he liked the script. And so he worked for good reason. And he, he was an angel in the film. He was so good. And I have so much fun with him. Luke Besson demanded that most of the action shots in the film take place in broad daylight, as he was reportedly tired of the dark spaceship corridors and dimly lit planets common in science fiction films and wanted a brighter, cheery, crazy look as opposed to a gloomy, realistic one. This, I believe, is a better choice. This movie was supposed to be a trilogy, and Luke Besson had three scripts that he condensed into one. The cartoonist Jean-Claude Mezeres of My Fifth Element also says that Luke Besson approached him for ideas, telling him, I want to make a movie based on your visuals. 
but I am ready to pay you for the work. The nuance is because there was long been controversy that many elements of the Star Wars series, several aliens, Darth Vader's costume, Leia's golden bikini, Han Solo's carbonite, were lifted among unmodified out of Valerian, in particular the Empire de Mille Planetes, published in 1971, which I think I really butchered that name, of which George Lucas is known to own several original editions as seen during the interviews in his study. Luke Besson had been in a relationship with Mao Wen, who played the role of Diva Plava Laguna, for six years when filming commenced. However, he left her for Mila Jovovich during filming. Jovovich and Besson later married, but divorced in 1999. Luke Besson said that casting Bruce Willis was the easiest part of the movie. I came to New York City, he read the script, two hours later he said he'd do it. Even as Luke Besson went way over budget, he didn't have to allow the financiers on set to show them any footage. Lilu's full name is too hard to pronounce for me, as sourced by various media, media including Luke Besson's film diary, The Adventure and Discovery of a Film, The Story of the Fifth Element a French promotional poster used in subways to advertise the film, and the video game manual. La Carabia is a misspelling based in the script and thus transferred to the video subtitles as well. Lilu speaks her second name with a hard T sound. Luke Besson, an admitted comic book fan, had two famous French comic book artists in mind for the film's visual style when he started writing the movie in high school. Jean Gerard, or otherwise known as Mobius, and Jean-Claude Mézerez, both artists have long-standing comic book series in France. Mobius is best known for Blueberry and the French magazine and the movie Heavy Metal. Mézerez is best known for the Valerian series. Both series are still in production today. Mobius and Mezares, who attended art school together, but had never collaborated on a project until The Fifth Element. They started renderings for the film in the early 90s and are responsible for the majority of the overall look of the film, including the vehicles, spacecrafts, buildings, human characters, and aliens. However, only Gerard is credited. And even that, he wasn't even granted a premium when the movie was eventually produced. Luke Besson describes Zorg with these words, Dandy, Nove Ricci, and Hitler. Alejandro Jodorowsky and Jean Gerard sued Luke Besson over the film uh, being released, claiming that it plagiarized their comic, The Inkle. Gerard sued for 13.1 million euros for unfair competition, 9 million euros in damage and interest, and 2 to 5% of the net operating revenues of the film. Jodorowsky sued for 700,000 euros, 
The case was dismissed in 2004 on the grounds that only tiny fragments of the comic had been used, and also because Gerard had been hired by Besson to look work on the film before the allegations were even made. Luke Besson wanted to show the future as not dark and dangerous, but he said, this future is very funny, and he also expressed an interest in making a sequel to it. Bruce Willis was initially reluctant to do the film, as the film was considered risky after his previous two films, Hudson Hawk and Billy Bathgate, had been received poorly. Later on, Luke Besson was in Barry Josephson's office when Willis called regarding a different film. Besson asked to speak to Willis just to say hello and told him that the project was finally going ahead, explaining that the decision to go with a less expensive actor. After a short silence, Willis stated, If I like the film, we can always come to an arrangement. He agreed to take on the role after reading the script. While cartoonist Jean-Claude Mezerez isn't directly credited in the movie, he is indeed confirmed author of most sets, as his album The Extras of Mezerez Volume 2, the My Fifth Element Sets for the film by Luke Besson, was published at the same time the movie came out in France, reusing the movie's logo on the cover. Similarly, at the time the movie was being shot, Kristen and Mezerez published Les Cirques de Pauvre, which contained a hovercraft taxi, which led Luke Besson to rewrite the movie's opening scenes and a caricature of Besson. Luke Besson continued to work on and modify the storylines for years. By the time his film Atlantis in 1991 was released, he had a 400-page script. The director has stated in several sources, among them his own production diary, that the fifth element is a representation of life, love, and art, and that the fifth element is a symbol of life. Luke Besson also wrote the original screenplay when he was in high school. He had conceived the story of the film and invented the world of the film as a child so he could escape his lonely childhood. He began writing the script when he was 16, though it was not released in cinemas until he was 38. Now let's get into a couple of the technical aspects on the film. Simply more of them, tightly packed with infinite genetic knowledge, almost like this being was engineered. Is there any danger? No, 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 no. We put it through the cellular hygiene detector. The cell is, for lack of a better word, perfect. Okay, go ahead. But Mr. Perfect better be polite, otherwise I turn him into cat food. Activate it.
10 seconds to ultraviolet protection. This is the last phase. The cells are bombarded by slightly greasy solar atoms, which forces the body to react to protect itself. That means growing skin. Wonderful. Reconstruction complete. Remove the shield. The explosion in the Flossen main hall was the largest indoor explosion ever filmed. The resulting fire, among which most went beyond control. Diva Plava Laguna sings El Doce Sono, an area from the opera Lucia de Lammermoor. It is one of the most difficult areas because of its length, its soaring arpeggios, and the high F above high C. When the president tells Father Vito Cornelius he has 20 seconds to state his point, Vito talks exactly for 20 seconds. The flying traffic created by the visual effects team at Digital Domain allowed artists to create personalized license plates. And it was pretty cool to see those. At the time, it was the most expensive film ever produced outside of Hollywood, the most expensive production in Galmont's history, and at 80 million US dollars, the visual effects budget of the film was the highest of its time. According to the Ultimate Edition DVD, Prince and Lenny Kravitz were sources of inspiration for the part of Ruby Rod. Both were even considered for the role as well, with Prince being the first choice for the role of Ruby Rod. Vin Diesel, surprisingly, provided the voice of Finger, but didn't receive any on-screen credit. In the future New York City, Central Park is the same size as the real one and is in the same place, but 100 feet in the air. Gary Oldman plays Zorg as a cross between then-presidential candidate Ross Perot and Bugs Bunny. The people populating the roofs and decks and windows during the visual effects sequences in New York City are actually the artists and employees at Digital Domain who worked on the film. Selected as the opening film uh, for the 1997 Cannes Film Festival, which was pretty cool. The actor playing the cop in the driver's seat waiting at the McDonald's restaurant with 65 trillion served, written on it, is actually named Mac McDonald. The only phrases from Lilu's alien language that are included in the captioning are Marlata, Big Bada Boom, Akta, Sino Akta Gamut, San Agamut, Che Bet, Envolet, Danko, Dom Danko, and Apolai. 
Everything else appears as unknown language or after it's specified the divine language. Nick Dudman's creature crew created a group of spindly, long-nosed alien garbage collectors that never made it into the final film. In the scenes at the spaceport, there was a huge pile of garbage, which had gone uncollected because the garbage collectors are on strike, as explained in some dialogue. These creatures would have been seen amidst the garbage, holding sandwich board signs reading on strike, if they had made it into the final cut, which would have made it really interesting. Zorg's monologue about destruction creating productivity is actually a classic economics fallacy exposed in the parable of the broken window written by French economist Frederick Bassiat in 1850. The full essay is called C'est quand vot it, c'est quand ne vot pas. And that means that which is seen, and that which is not seen. In this film, it takes place in the time period between 1914 and 2263. When the Manashiwan aliens appear in 1914 Egypt, the professor, panicking, says, uh, uh, Are you German? In the German version, he says something else, which roughly translates, Are you from here, or Earth? Which would actually make more sense. The parasites being disinfected from the landing gear of the spaceship, bound for floss in paradise, by a team in sealed suits are actually Boglins, the 1980s puppet toys. With them is a bubble wall, a battery-powered shaking and vibrating ball covered with rubber knobs. Gary Oldman is such a good friend of Luke Besson, he took the part without reading the script, doing this film to repay Besson for partly financing his film, Nil by Mouth. Asked in a 2014 interview if he liked the film, Oldman stated, Oh no, I can't bear it. He had explained in 2011... It was me singing for my supper because Luke Besson had come in and partly financed my film. One of the Mondo Chiwan suits can be found at Planet Hollywood Restaurant in downtown Disney in Orlando, Florida. When the ship leaves Earth for Flossed in Paradise, there's a constellation of a cat walking with its tail straight up in the lower left right above the rim of the Earth. The fast-paced song played by the ensemble at Floston is the music of the traditional Tahiti Timur dance. All but two of the Mondashuan suits were destroyed after production. At least one of the surviving suits now belongs to Nick Dudman. In the movie, Mawin is actually lip-syncing to soprano Inva Mula. She practiced 30 times a day for three months to get the song right. Just after Zorg says he admires a cold-blooded, keen, methodical killer, an explosion blasts out of an opening exactly as in Leon the Professional, also by Luke Besson and with Gary Oldman, 
about such a killer. Ruby Rod was not the original name for Chris Tucker's character. It was Lock Rod. The original name appears in the script and the movie novelization. The text scrolling across a Times Square theater marquee as Corbin dives down through traffic is actually an excerpt from an email dispute between several artists at Digital Domain. Other signs on digital and practical miniature buildings contain similar in-jokes and references and the large cylinder tanker truck that Corbin's cab almost hits at the end of his descent is decorated with the logo of a Venice, California pizza parlor that was a favorite of Digital Domain's artists. Ruby Rod's name is an inside joke. One of the original lasers used a Ruby Rod as a core element, which is pretty fun. The actors inside the Mondashuan suits used mini television monitors to see where they were going. It took three people 20 minutes to dress one Mondashuan. It took a team of 80 workers five months to build the models used in the film. And there's a lot of intricate modeling going on. Because of the shape of the Mangalore mask, actors had to have sloping foreheads to play them. And in the original draft of the script, Zorg would have faced Corbin during the hotel evacuation where the latter beat up the former for firing him and attacking Lilu before stealing his ship. The ZF-1 was out of ammo, which resulted in Zorg's breakdown. Zorg then survives the destruction of the hotel with a personal shield of the ZF-1 only to land in a massive glacier. He then calls his secretary to send another ship only for the battery in his ZF-1 phone to fail. That ending is featured in the novelization, which would be pretty fun. There was actually a Wilhelm scream in this movie, heard when Zorg blows up right arm at the airport and when Lilu tosses two Mangalores out of the Divas room. The Floss in Paradise model weighed over 500 pounds. And the stars in the background were created by poking holes in a sheet of black fabric, which made the cost of that pretty cheap. In every New York City visual effects scene with flying traffic, there was a flying bus with the digital domain, the facility responsible for most of the visual effects, internal references or shot name stenciled on the roof of a bus. The instructions for the visual effects team were to include one bus with a shot name, but then all other buses in traffic could have had personal references including birthdays, initials, etc. The front marquee for the bus destination and side billboards were customized by the artist at Digital Domain to reference invisibly or sublimity some personal stamp or message. The Zorg Industries ZF-1 pod weapons system was actually based upon an AKSU-74 compact assault rifle. The grappa bottle in the opening scene bears a 1929 vintage label designed by artist Sante Kanshian. The brand named Marcati was cut off the top for the label for use in the prop bottle. The voice of Mrs. Dallas, 
Corbin's mother, is not credited in the film, which is also kind of surprising. Now, one other funny thing that occurred was that Terry Pratchett spoofed the title of the film in his Discworld novel, The Fifth Elephant. Listen carefully. The original storyline was set in the year 2300 and was about a nobody named Zaltman Blaris, later renamed Corbin Dallas, who wins a trip to the Club Med resort on the planet Floss in Paradise. There he meets Lilo, a sand girl, who has the beauty of youth despite being over 2,000 years old. The triangles feature frequently in the film. They appear on the Egyptian ruins, of course, on the displays of the planet alignment, and in the mission formation fired from the cruiser. Also, the stones are prisms. This is one of two science fiction movies featuring Ian Holm in which there is a character by the name of Dallas. The other one is Alien, which stars Tom Skerritt as Captain Dallas. And Ian Holm was the alien, or not the alien, but the robot synthetic named Ash. Volumes of two manga series, Sanctuary and Adolf, are briefly visible in Corbin Dallas's apartment. Now also, this was Sonny Caldenez's last acting role. You can look up his information on IMDb. The windows of the building were cited by the visual effects team as one of the most time-consuming tasks along with details behind the windows, such as furniture, blinds, light boxes, and tiny pieces of flat artwork. In the taxi scene after Lilu has crashed through the roof, the police show up to winch the taxi cab closer to the police car. Both before and after the taxi has the winch cable attached, the police officer speaking on a blowhorn can clearly be seen mouthing the words, Thank you for your help. In post-production, it was redubbed to say, Thank you for your cooperation. This is in reference to Robocop. If you'll notice, the helmets worn by the police officers kind of resemble the helmet worn by Robocop, hence the redubbing. Early in the film, Zorg quotes Frederick Nietzsche, What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Oldman's co-star, Bruce Willis, released an album at Motown Records, which had that title in the 1980s. Eleven years later, Heath Ledger said a variation of the famous line in The Dark Knight, also starring Gary Oldman. The buildings in New York City were derived from both metabolist-inspired masses of modular apartments from the 1960s and the futuristic designs of architect Antonio Sant'Elia in the 1910s. The visual effects crew said figuring out what was evil should look like it was the hardest part of their job. And this was one of the few films released in the short-lived Superbit format. Corbin Dallas is a former space commando turned taxi driver, which was also fun. All the social elites that Ruby points out in the opera 
were originally going to have more to do during the shootout at the hotel. Among the scale models used for filming were the buildings seen in New York City. Dozens of apartment blocks and 25 scrapers, skyscrapers some 20 feet high were constructed at 1 24th of the scale. There was a set of alien garbage collectors, and we've mentioned those before, and they were um, not seen in the film. So now, let's get into a little bit on the score. Uh, we can refer to some of these points that when composer Eric Serra showed soprano Inva Mula, who dubs the voice of the diva, the sheet music for the diva dance, she reportedly smiled and relayed to him that some of the notes written were not humanly possible to achieve because the human voice cannot change notes that fast. Hence, she performed the notes in isolation, one by one, as opposed to consecutively singing them all together, and they digitized the notes to fit the music, which was a cool way of doing it. There are a few moments when you can hear the differences in the vocal tones of the diva's voice, which we'll mention later. Part of the song that the diva sings is from the opera Lucia L'Amour, very often goes by the title The Mad Song as it's sung by Lucia just after she murders Arturo, whom she was forced to marry on their wedding day. Lucia is hallucinating that she married the man she really loves, Edgardo, her brother's nemesis. So that's some facts on that specific song. Next, I want to talk about a little bit about Valerian, City of a Thousand Planets. We've talked about the main movie, The Fifth Element, and a little bit on the score. I'd like to bring out a few facts regarding this movie. This film actually is what Luke Besson really was striving for back in 1997 when he made The Fifth Element. Here's a basic plot of the new movie. In the 28th century, special operatives Valerian and Loreline work together to maintain order throughout the human territories. Under assignment from the Minister of Defense, the duo embark on the mission to Alpha, an ever-expanding metropolis where diverse species gather together to share knowledge and culture. When a dark force threatens the peaceful city, Valerian and Loreline must race against time to identify the menace that also jeopardizes the future of the universe. In 2012, it was announced that Luc Besson planned to make the movie for a big screen of the French comic series Valerian and Loreline, published in 1967. Now that had sold 10 million copies and had been translated into 21 languages. On the 12th of May in 2015, Besson revealed that his first tweet that he would write and direct Valerian, while Dane DeHaan and Cara Delavane would star. DeHaan and Delavane would play the titular roles, space and time traveling agents from the futuristic Earth. And on August 19, 2015, Clive Owens signed on to play Commander Oren Fillet in the film. This film marks the return of the director to space opera 20 years after The Fifth Element 
and confirms its appeal to the genre of science fiction, especially after Lucy's worldwide success in 2014. The budget of 197 million uh, pounds, looks like, is by far the largest ever assembled for a French film. Previously, Asterix at the Olympic Games was the most expensive budget at 78 million, just ahead of Besson's Fifth Element at 75 million. By the end of 2015 of August, Besson said that the RTL radio interview that the shooting of the film in France was too expensive. Because it was shot in a foreign language, English, Besson was unable to benefit from tax credits despite preferring to produce it in France and create jobs for 1,200 crew members. The criteria to obtain these tax credits were then adapted accordingly. In May 2015, it was announced Fundamental Films would invest $50 million in the film. Now that's U.S. money. So, I've got a few cues of the fifth element that I'd like to play today, and also two tracks from Valerian, City of the Thousand Planets. First off, with the fifth element, I'm going to start by playing Mondoshiwan, Time Crash, and Corbin Dallas. Now, with these tracks, Eric Serra really gives us this ominous feeling for a great alien race, the timed attack of which formed out of darkness, and our intro to the hero of our movie. The score here is brilliant, experimental, and electronic, all rolled into a neat little package. So enjoy these tracks.
next, I've got Lilu, Plava Laguna, and Heat. These themes really highlight the unique nature of Lilu and her connection to the diva. I love the timing even in the score and how Eric Serra brings out the different elements of the score, giving us this organic and electronic score while providing true orchestral formulas that take the tradition and turn it on, on its back. So I hope you enjoy these cues.
The last fifth element cues I'd like to play is Lucia de Lammermoor, The Diva Dance, Bomb in the Hotel, Lacta Lagunae, and Protect Life. This album really is some of Eric Serra's best work, and I'm so glad we get so much into the score for The Fifth Element. I hope you enjoy this, so don't go away. I've got two tracks from Valerian to play for you by Alexandra Diplot.
So we've come down to another end to Soundtrack Alley. I've really enjoyed being able to share my thoughts on this film and how excited I get when watching it. I love it on Blu-ray for the crystal clearness of the picture and sound. This film has an amazing sound work that should be enjoyed thoroughly. I'd also like to thank Jillian Orwall for my intro today, and please check out the other podcasts in the Podcast Arcade Network found at thepodcastarcade.com, as well as listen to Underground Inc. and Daydream Instruction Manual and Geek Vice. And also check out Make Eternia Great Again and also The Goad Kicker. All these different podcasts are included in the Podcast Arcade Network. So now I'd like to close out the show by including two cues from Valerian by Alexander Duplat, entitled Valerian's Armor and Pearl's Power. I'd like you to check out Soundtrack Alley on SoundtrackAlley.net, SoundtrackAlley.Podbean.com, And of course, check it out on iTunes and Google Play and wherever podcasts are found. You can also email me at SoundtrackAlley at Yahoo.com. So I hope you enjoy these tracks, and until next time, happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take some time to review my podcast on iTunes and also listen to it on Podbean. And if you leave a review or rating on there, it'll help us get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com.